You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato, here with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Brandon Cobb. And Brandon was a former medical device sales rep who happened upon real estate after actually getting laid off from what was his dream job. And now he runs a vertically integrated firm called HBG Capital and manages over $22 million of new development annually with a focus of affordable entry-level build-to-sell and build-to-rent housing, which has been pretty popular in 2023 going into 2024. And he's specifically focused on the Nashville, Tennessee market. So going to be very interesting to hear his story of uh, going from a medical device sales rep to developing, you know, over millions of dollars of new construction. And I I guess why you chose the niche of new construction entry-level homes versus what we talk about a lot on this show is multifamily. I'm sure you have maybe some multifamily experience as well, but yeah, just want to get into your story, man. And thanks for coming on the show today. Hey man, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So yeah, tell us about um, your experience in medical device sales and what what happened to bring you upon real estate. (laughs) Yeah. Well, long story short, you know, once upon a time, I did do a lot of knees and shoulders. So I I worked in sports medicine. I was the guy, if you had a torn ACL or a rotator cuff or a labral tear, I'd go in, my products would go in. I did a lot of screws, a lot of anchors. I sold a lot of allografts. And, you know, contrary to what a a lot of people experience where they have this like aha moment where they work in corporate for a number of years and they've just had enough and they're just, I'm just going to take the plunge. I had this dream of doing something big and finally quit and, you know, said, screw you to the man and did it. That wasn't me. I actually love what I did. My job, I thought that I was the coolest kid on the block wearing scrubs every single day. I was in the OR. I was getting to rub shoulders with successful orthopedic surgeons, train hospital staff on how to use my product. And I really felt like I was making a difference intrinsically with the patients, you know, taking them from, you know, mobile or, or, or an injury or not being able to perform to being able to get them back on the field. So I loved what I did. And I'll never forget. Uh, it was one Friday afternoon. It was a sunny spring. It was one of those days where like springs kind of knocking on winter's door. It's one of those days where you want to sit outside. It's kind of warm. The sun's shining. And it was a Friday afternoon. And I just finished up a successful trial over at Mary Hospital. Excited to give my boss the great news about the success of the trial and a potential new surgeon we were bringing on board. Uh, I met him at Starbucks. And before I could even get the news out, he fired me. And that was the moment where I realized that you can be as loyal as you want to a company. You can work as many hours as you want, put in the blood, sweat, and tears. At the end of the day, the company has to do whatever's best for the company. And it was I was it was a complete shock. I spent the next few hours trying to figure out what in the world went wrong. I had all these fancy schmancy rookie of the year sales awards. I'd just gone over and beyond. And that day taught me a lesson that would change my life forever, which was nobody's going to look out for your financial well-being but you, you and you alone are the only one. So 
unlike a lot of people, I'm not an entrepreneur. I was I was sort of forced into it. And then I, I sat down and I think I watched Shark Tank for like three weeks straight, like looking for ideas. And I saw these guys. I saw this one guy who had like a, a product to put a message or a picture on a potato and sell it. And I was like, if this guy can make money, surely I can. And so I started multiple businesses at that point. You know, I was wanting to be the next Tony Robbins. So I started a life coaching business. I had a motivational blog I was writing articles for. I was also doing this real estate thing, going to real estate meetups, trying to figure out how the whole real estate theme worked. And I also had this course that I was creating online to help people break into medical device sales because they say, hey, you know, you know, if you're good at something, teach what you're good at. And I had a lot of people reach out to me over the years asking how to break into medical device sales. So I thought that would be great. All the businesses fell but one. I ended up getting this house under contract after driving around, putting these We Buy Houses signs up on telephone poles. And this guy called me. He had a foreclosure home. He needed to close quick. And so I sold all my 401ks, all my retirement accounts. And I said, screw it. I'm just going to go all in. Bought this house. Ended up GCing that project, getting contractors off Craigslist. I mean, just broke every rule in the book was driving an hour and 20 minutes every single day to try to rehab this property. And, uh, you know, four months later, ended up pulling it off. And I think I made somewhere around, you know, $30,000, $40,000 off that house with my partner. And I had just beat my six-month ultimatum that I gave myself. So I said, if I could figure out a way to make money in, in, in six months or less, I'll keep doing it. If I don't, I'll just go back and get a job. And that money, that first paycheck as an entrepreneur – that's what gave me the motivation that I needed to go and and get to the next level. And so we basically just reinvested all that money back into the business in the form of marketing and just started transitioning. You know, we started flipping houses. We built that business up to doing probably 30, 40 houses a year. And we I remember there was a, a point, an inflection point where we had the opportunity to buy this fire damaged property. Now the second floor was gone, but the first floor was actually in pretty good shape. And we could buy it for less than what the land was worth. So we said, all right, let's uh, let's just let's buy it. Let's cut out all the black stuff. Let's get a structural engineer. Let's get the city involved. And we ended up building that house in probably a six-month period. At the same time that we were rehabbing this full-gut house around the corner, and we ended up building that house faster than rehabbing the other one, and we made three times as much money. And so it was at that point where we're like, why are we flipping houses? And so we transitioned to doing a lot of new construction, a lot of infill, a lot of spec, and kind of similar story where we just kind of graduated to you know what was most easy. And we said, you know, if we're building all these little onesie twosie houses all over the place, why not show up to the same area and build a bunch of houses? And so that's what started our journey to go and meet with the cities and look for these plots of land that we could then develop. We could put the infrastructure in and we could we could actually you know build and sell them. And so that's actually kind of what's now led to what we're trying to do is get into the build to rent space as well. Yeah, no, I love the story. That's an awesome realization you had that I love the quote that you said, nobody can control your own financial. Nobody can control your financial destiny, but you, you're the only one. And it's almost more secure to be doing your own thing or starting your own business than to be working for somebody else. Because to your point, you can get laid off at any moment. And even if you're hitting all your goals or you're going above and beyond, something may happen with the company or, you know, maybe with the principals running the company, 
where, you know, unfortunately, uh, had to part ways. So it's just really great that you figured that out um, early on, it sounds like, in your career, and you were able to pivot. So can you talk a little bit about that, how long of a time period? I mean, you mentioned, you know, it took, I think you said a couple months after you left medical device sales to do your first uh, deal. Um, And then after your first deal, you mentioned some more developments as well. Kind of talk about the time period um, of all this to put it into context for our listeners. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it was June when I got laid off in total shock. First thing I did, you know, call my family and and just figure out what in the world. Like this was this was very new to me. Right. You know, I was in my mid 20s. But I gave myself a six-month ultimatum. I had done a very good job of living below my means. I didn't have any debt. I owned everything in cash. You know, I had I didn't choose to live downtown at the time paying, you know, the fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars per month. You know, that was a lot, you know, 10, 10 12 years ago. Uh, I chose a seven hundred dollar per month apartment. And so I think my rent was probably one tenth of my income, maybe, maybe a twelfth or fifteenth. So I did a really good job of saving my money and investing. And so when I did get laid off, I I didn't have to immediately go jump back and get a job. And I said, I'm just going to give myself a six-month ultimatum. And in that six months, I was just trying to figure things out. I was going to a bunch of meetups and meeting people in real estate. You know, I was reading some books. I was taking some courses on how to be an entrepreneur. And I was just kind of sort of trying to find the first thing that would work. And I would kind of compare it to, I think Mike McAllowitz wrote this really good book called The Pumpkin Plan. And in that book, he talks about the key to growing a huge pumpkin, you know, the kind that like everybody awls over during Halloween and the kids flock to in the pumpkin patch is you've got a vine. And on that vine, multiple pumpkins will start to appear. And the successful ones are the ones where you cut off all the smaller pumpkins once you recognize one that's outstanding, one that's outperforming the other ones so that all of the nutrients and attention can go to that pumpkin. And that's how it gets so big. And so that's really what I did. You know, probably the first three months is when it took me to get that house under contract. And again, I did that because I was going to a lot of meetups. I was trying to figure out who had already done what it was I was trying to achieve. And once I found that person and we kind of laid this plan and that's how he's like, hey, you know, take these signs, go put them on telephone poles, answer the phones. I'm like, okay, let's give it a shot. What do I have to lose? At that point, I cut off ties with all my other businesses, the course in medical device sales, the blog, the, you know, the life coaching. I didn't want to, you know, I was like, hey, look, this one thing is what we need to do. And it took about three months of just me really grinding and hustling every day, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't have a passion for real estate. I had no clue that's what I want to do, but that's the first thing that did. So I'm very passionate about business. I'm not very necessarily passionate about real estate specifically when I was getting into it. No, I love that answer. Um, and again, it's, it's just one realization after the other, after the other, after the other uh, on a very, um, in, in a very early part of I wouldn't say an early part of your career, but it's it's good that you were able to um, be in that position to set you up for your future, which is really excellent. I feel like a lot of people, you know, dive right into, you know, they get their first job and they start spending tons of money on an apartment and going out to eat every night and mm-hmm. something happens in the economy or something happens with the job. And then they're like, well, I got to move back in with mom and dad or whatever and figure it out. So I'm, I'm really glad you... Uh, we're kind of preparing for um, 
I don't want to say preparing for the worst because it turned out to be the best, which is, yeah. you know, which yeah. is great. It's interesting um, how our incomes are living expenses will rise relative to our incomes, right? You know, you make more and more money and then you spend more and more. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's called a, a lifestyle creep is is the term for it. Um, you know, and a lot of people unfortunately fall into that that trap. Um, it's got to make sense. I love the term you said, you know, oh, my rent was only a tenth of my income. I mean, that's that's great. I know people who have mortgage payments that are 80% of their income. 90%. I don't know how they do it, um, quite frankly. But um, anyway, so, all right. So got a few deals under your belt. You know, you took a lot of time to figure, not a lot of time, but it, it was relatively quick for you. Um, I've had conversations with others where it's it, it's taken longer um, to really focus on the one part of your business, which is the real estate, built to rent, built to sell. Um, talk about some of the larger deals you're doing now. And uh, how long did it take you to get into doing those larger deals? Obviously, you have 20, 22 million, oh, right? 20, well, a little bit about a little bit over twenty two million in development or, or already built. Can you talk about um, that process? And then, how did you focus on Nashville? Obviously, that's I think that's where you're from, right? So, um, and you have one business partner. Uh, yeah, I've got two business partners that are with us with our umbrella of companies. So, yeah, a lot there. I'll try to knock them out one at a time. Really, when we transitioned into doing the bigger deals, there was a point when we were doing a lot of, you know, house flips and new construction where we ran out of money. You know, you can save as much money as you want, but real estate is a capital intensive business. And we had cash flow problems. When you have all your own funds locked up, it's hard to pay salaries. It's it's hard to make ends meet and take some home. Because real estate's this thing where, you know, it's it's six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 months out sometimes before you can get that income coming in and you need cash to run the business. So cash flow is king when it comes to real estate, you know, to your point, And that's probably a big reason why you get in the multifamily and why it's such a great investment, you know, for your partners and, and all y'all's investors is, is, you know, if you can buy cash flow from day one, it can be successful. Much more difficult when running a, a house flipping company or a construction company. So we had this need to go out and bring investors on board. And so when you're offering somebody an opportunity to invest in something that's secured by real estate, an asset class that's historically never gone to zero, it's always gone up, then you've come some very attractive terms. And so at the time, we were able to attract some investors, pull them into the business, pull our funds out of the projects, use it to grow and scale the business. And that's how our firm HBG Capital was born. Now, as we were transitioning and we were growing and we started doing these these spec builds, you know, new construction was more expensive than than flipping houses. There was a little bit more capital needed. And I think at the time we had probably raised, you know, three or four million dollars and we were doing promissory notes. So it was all debt position. So if I needed to go build three million dollars worth of houses, I needed three million dollars. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, dude, I, you know, I want to get to being, you know, two, three hundred homes a year. And I'm looking at the amount of money that I need to do this. I'm like, holy crap, I'm gonna have to raise like 30 million dollars. This is gonna be insane. This is gonna take forever. You know, the it's like running a marathon, right? You know, you can just see the whole path in front of you. You're like, I don't think I'm ever gonna get there. And I was introduced to this concept of a syndication. And I had some friends that were doing it, joined a mastermind. They taught this syndication model. And I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me that I can use people's capital we raise as a down payment for debt and I can scale that way. And so I was 
messing around with a few different models and, and getting some advice. And, you know, I went to the investors and I was like, Hey guys, if, if we could, if we could take, you know, your money from the, you know, 10, 12% we're paying you and do like 18%, would that be something you're interested in? And they're like, well, heck yeah. How are you going to do that? And so I, I, we started a, a syndication. We did our first syndication and we we're like, wow, holy smoly overnight. We had access to you know, fifteen, twenty million dollars, and we're able to do these these much bigger deals. And so that's what really catapulted us and allowed us to get into doing some of these development projects. And so from there, we said, well, what's what's the investment thesis here? Do we want to be in Nashville? Is this the place? And so we first had to make sure that we were being a good steward of the capital. We were finding a really good home for it. And so we wanted as many layers of insulation between ourselves, our deals, our investors, and the economy. And so we started formulating this plan and we said, well, hey, you know, if we're going to invest, where do we want to invest? Well, we want to be in a top 10 fastest growing city because cities bring money and, and money brings insulation. When you've got people moving to a place, when you got businesses moving there, they bring money and money is what creates that insulation when you get, you know, these rising interest rates or, you know, a 2008 event. So we knew we wanted to be somewhere. Well, Nashville just happened to be a top 10 fastest growing city. We wanted to work somewhere that created incentives to continue to attract businesses. So Tennessee is known for no income taxes, you know, similar to Florida. So that brought a lot of places. Tennessee was very affordable compared to a lot of other places. You know, we've got people moving here in droves from New York and California because they're sick of being taxed to death. They're sick of the cities regulating their businesses and telling them what to do. So from a high level, Nashville had all of these great demographics going for it. And then COVID happened. And COVID really poured fuel on the fire that revealed a situation that we all kind of knew was there, but nobody could really put a name to it until COVID happened. And that was it revealed that you have business-friendly states and you have non-business-friendly states. And so you know, what happened in you know, New York and California, the lockdowns, people were just sick of it. And so there's this huge migration after COVID to uh, you know, Florida, to Texas and Tennessee, because we didn't shut everything down. So we we knew that we were in the right area from a high level. We knew that our particular area had some insulation. And then it was, it boils down to, you know, what asset class do we want to be in? You know, and in, at the time we continued, you know, flipping houses. We were in a in a more affordable housing niche. When I say affordable, I don't mean section eight or government housing, but I'm talking about first time home buyer housing. It is the most undersupplied, highest demand real estate niche. You know, everybody talks about how they cannot afford or find somewhere to live. And so that's what we wanted to focus on. And we knew that in order for us to get into the land at an attractive price to create entry level housing, we needed to partner with the local municipalities in or around Nashville to identify the parcels of land that are not the highest and best use and rezone and give it density. And that's where we really add value and do different. We, when you go to a seller who's got, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 acres, whatever it is, and say, hey, you know, you got a piece of land that's worth half a million dollars. If I could offer you 1.2 for it, would you be interested? And they're like, well, how are you going to do that? And so we will explain how we are going to force appreciate the value of the land through adding density. And then 
that's where we build on all the equity ourselves because it's not going to be worth 1.2 we're going to it's going to be worth you know 2 2.5 3 and that's where we build in all of the insulation for ourselves for our investors that's how we put a win on the board for our sellers that we work with that's how we put a win on the board for the city they get what they want they get additional tax revenue they get to reinvest that back in the communities and we make a win for the new community that we create. We're force appreciating the value of everybody's homes around us. We're giving somebody a place to live. You know, it's really cool when you can say that you provided that product for someone to start their family in, right? And then we also win as well as our investors. So I, I don't know anything else that – I love development because I don't know anything else that so many parties win in in this particular type of thing. I mean, it's really is a win for, for everybody. And so that's kind of, that's basically how we got into it. It starts with, uh, it starts, it starts with really identifying the vision for the community and the city that you're working with. No, that's awesome. I'm glad you found your niche, um, in real estate. It takes a lot of people a long time to find their niche. Um, it took me a little bit to find my niche on uh, workforce housing, multifamily, somewhat similar in nature, but, I really love the niche you're in as well. We can go on all day and talk about your niche and my niche. I'd love to have you back on, obviously uh, running a little bit at a time. So for people who want to reach out to you, learn more about you and your company and find out you know, more in detail with what you're doing and how you're doing it, what's the best way for them to do that, Brandon, reach out to you? Yeah, no, you know, if you're somebody who's who's trying to diversify and you know your your entry level housing is something that might be attractive to your portfolio, if you're trying to create passive income from real estate, if you're trying to build a legacy, retire and, and make an impact, um, we've got a ton of free resources on our website, hbgcapital.net. That's uh, like Harry Bob Gary Capital.net. I joked that the dot com was taken. Um, but we've got tons of free information on our website. I wrote a free ebook called 100 Questions Business Owners Ask Before Investing. And I wrote that ebook because I got a call one day and it was from one of our investors. And he asked if I could do a phone call with uh, one of his friends who had lost their entire investment to a real estate investor. And I said, sure, I don't know if I'm going to be able to help much, but I'm happy to take his call. And so he called and I, I just, I knew right from the get go. I mean, this guy was screwed. And when I look at some of the reasons why, I mean, there was no securitization to his investment. There was no proper legal paperwork done. He just didn't know what he was getting into. He was too green. And it had he known the right questions to ask and how to perform due diligence on a sponsor and an investor. He would not have lost his money. So I wrote that ebook, 100 Questions Business Owners Ask Before Investing, in light of if I could just prevent this from happening to one other person, that I felt like it would do some good in the world. So you can grab that free ebook as well as a ton of other stuff on our website. Now that's awesome. And we'll have a link to Brandon's website as well as his ebook in our social media description and on iTunes. So you can reach out to him and, and read the book and, and whatnot. And if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps Brandon and my message get out to a larger audience. That's just the way the algorithm works. So we'd really appreciate that. And love to have you back on, Brandon, and talk more about uh, Built to Rent or Built to Sell in, in more detail. But I love your story and keep kicking ass. Hey, Anthony, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.